2: 20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast.
3: What's going on Packer fans? Welcome back to an all-new co-branded episode of the Pack-a-Day podcast along with Packers Wire. I'm once again joined by my good friend, good friend. excuse me, Paul Brettel. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. We waited to record this podcast until the end of the Brewer game. We wish we had not. Paul, outside of the abysmal showing by the Milwaukee Brewers losing two games in a row, how the heck are you doing?
2: Yes, outside of that, I'm fantastic and always happy to join you to talk Packers, Andy.
3: Yeah, thankfully talking Packers and thankfully we are not a 365 day a year Brewer podcast or covering the the Brewers 365 days a year. We'll let all of those people have to deal with all of that. Mm -hmm. We will stick to what we know best, which is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, There's so much to discuss with this team. It feels like the last game was a decade ago uh, being all the way last Thursday. Um, Now we still have to wait until Monday to play the next one. It was a little bit of a a burn the tape game. And unfortunately, you can't get that taste out of your mouth and just immediately play another game. Of course, we've got to wait uh, as many Mm -hmm. days as we needed to watch uh, to finally get to Packers Raiders and uh, get a fresh opponent. But um, at the same token, it felt like Green Bay probably needed a little bit of a reset after those past couple games. Maybe get some guys healthy. I'll just start off with, you know, how are you feeling about this team after four games? And, uh, you know, do you feel like they maybe needed a little bit of this rest here?
2: Yeah, I'll start with that. I think they absolutely needed the the mini buy, I mean the the laundry list of what their injury report looked like and not just not just injuries, but like key injuries that really any team if they were without as much star power as the Packers have had, like that's difficult to overcome let alone for this team with so much youth, so much inexperience on it. So yes, I think this mini buy came at a good time for them and then I mean they'll have their their extended by their normal by following this Raiders game again, just to get more healthy. But it, you know, I think for me, the highs and lows, like the valleys, it's greater than maybe what I anticipated. But I feel like overall, the ups and downs that we've seen, and, you know, you look at a lot of the, the one, their record, but just kind of a lot of key metrics, you know, they're, they're around league average. And, you know, I feel like that just, that fits, that sums up this team well. Again, I maybe mean, we've gotten there a little bit more crazily than what I would have anticipated over the summer, but where we're at right now, reflecting on kind of the overall performance of this team, you know, I, I think it does align with, for the most part, with what expectations were.
3: I do wish to some extent that we would have been able to see over the first four games sort of this real Packers team. Bakhtiari misses three games. Jenkins misses multiple games. Jair misses multiple games. Campbell uh, has you know basically two games where he's playing hurt. Zach Tom's playing hurt this game. Running goes down early, is playing hurt in this game. And, I mean, we can go. Uh, Eric Stokes hasn't played a game yet. It's great to see him back practicing, but he hasn't played a game yet. Like, we Rashawn Gary's on a snap count. Aaron Jones has been hurt. Christian Watson's been hurt. Like, this is not a handful of your, you know, replacement level starters that you're like, oh, that stinks, but, oh, it's going to be fun to see maybe a a rookie or two kind of, you know, play um, within the, you know, just kind of see him play and maybe get some snaps. This is totally different. This is like the core of this team that they did keep around that you were expecting either like Mm -hmm. the Jair's, the the, Devondres, the Bakhtiari's, the Jenkins, to be able to maybe pull a little bit more of the weight and, sort of be a team that, you know, be the group of the team that's going to maybe be able to help them win some games. And then you're like Christian Watson's and the guys that are like really expecting to take that next jump. So it's been really hard to really gauge exactly what this team is when so many of those key players have been hurt so far.
2: Yeah. it I mean, like you said, I mean, just listed off a lot of them. It, it that, That's just so much for any team to have to overcome
3: yeah i know it really really is Uh, i wanted to talk about a article that you recently did to kind of kick us off here today because i think it's been maybe one that hasn't been talked about enough I think it, we, we've sort of probably all covered it in some capacity, just with the Packers struggling with the running game. But I thought you broke it down in a really great way. And, and that's specifically the Packers struggling on early downs. And it's one thing to say, like, you know, of course they're going to want to run the ball on early downs and get into some second and shorts and third and shorts to be able to sort of keep everything in the playbook open to them. But it's not just uh, running plays on early downs. I thought there were some opportunities early in this past game for Jordan Love um, just a couple of those swing passes that I thought he could have maybe got to within his progressions that were almost like baked in, not run plays, but almost like would have acted as a run play where you've got an opportunity to maybe get it down the field. If it's not there, you swing it out and pick up some yards. But this is a team that struggled on early downs and really got itself into some disadvantageous situations.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's been the, there's a number of things that go into it, but that in itself has been probably the biggest issue that they faced. I mean, Uh, A failure on first down puts you in obvious passing situations. The pass rush can pin its ears back. The defense gets into favorable matchups. Jordan loves completing just 46% of his second down pass attempts this season. And I think, again, that goes to show just the disadvantageous situation that the offense and the passing game's in. And yes, it starts with an, uh, an ineffectiveness in the ground game but you know Matt LaFleur talked about this on Friday following the Lions game you know they loaded the box against green bay and they're not the first team to do that this season you know their uh, opponents want to see love this young offense you know uh be able to push the ball in the passing game and the packers as LaFleur said they run a number of run pass cans where you know it's love's decision kind of based on what the defense is doing is it going to be this specific run play that we've called or this specific pass play and again LaFleur said that he wants to play the probabilities. So when the defense is in cover 1, they're heavier in the box, he's got one-on-ones outside, like that's what he wants love to take. He wants to take those opportunities versus running into that loaded box. The the issue, however, is that this passing game on its own, it doesn't have the 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 strength to shoulder being the 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 main option in terms of moving the ball. You know, Love's had his accuracy issues the receivers tight ends from a route running standpoint in terms of attention to detail and being all right, where exactly they need to be and being there at the right time. Like that still hasn't, you know, happened consistently. So you take that, the inconsistencies and moving the ball through the air has been, it's been a challenge for this group. And then you couple that with the inability on the ground and they're stuck in these second and long, third and long situations where they're just aren't able to move the ball. Like if they're only picking up, you know, if it's incomplete or a one, two yard, even three yard gain on first down, like right now it almost feels like doom for this offense. Like it doesn't feel like they have the ability to move the chains from that point. And it just snowballs from there. You know, the defense, it's a lack of complimentary football. It's a quick possession, a quick punt. The defense is on the field more. I mean, look at that fourth quarter in Atlanta. The offense ran 11 plays. Uh, They were on the field for three minutes and not to excuse the defense's performance, but like that's hard when you're out there that much, especially when you're already struggling in the run game. Now the opponent is uh, putting points on the board. They're controlling the, the game from a time of possession, from a play calling standpoint, that Atlanta game and the Lions game, the two teams that ran for 200 yards on average, Detroit and Atlanta ran 25 more plays in those games than Green Bay did they held the ball for almost 15 minutes longer. Like good luck winning those games when the discrepancy is that huge. So now the defense is struggling to get off the field. The Packers offense gets the ball back and now they're trailing in many instances over these last few weeks by a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns. And those same issues that we had originally when it was 0-0 in this example are now just um, magnified because you're losing. So you still can't run the ball um, just because that hasn't been effective. There's more of a stressor on the passing game. The defense is giving you those looks, daring you to pass the ball. So you feel like you need to take that opportunity. And again, that cycle for a large portion of the Atlanta fourth quarter in the last two games has just, it's, it's been vicious. And it's been, you know, running kind of like a snowball down a hill in terms of the, the struggles and just magnifying it. But again, it all goes back and it's for various reasons but it all goes back to those struggles on first down. And to your point, and LeFleur talked about this, yeah, they got to find ways to get Aaron Jones the ball. They got to find ways to get Christian Watson the ball, even if it's, you know, designed, schemed up touches. Like, you can't let the defense do 100% of the dictating in terms of what play you're going to run and who you're going to get the ball to. You know, they have to get them some design touches. Uh, The Lions going into that game, they had struggled... Uh, quite a bit defending running backs in the passing game. I thought coming into that, that would have been a great way to get Aaron Jones involved. You know, that quick passing game, mitigate the pass rush. You know, the quick passing game can help mimic a little bit the run game. If the run game's not working, you get Aaron Jones, the ball in space, but we didn't really see any of that either. And in part, it's a product of just kind of how the game unfolded. All of a sudden it's 24 to three. The Packers have run 11 plays. They haven't been able to get. They haven't had the opportunity to even get the ground game going, you know, for a LeFleur offense where the passing game builds off of the the run action. Like you can't do that with just such that small sample size over a few drive. The concepts that build off of each other from quarter one to two into the second half, like none of that is able to get going again because of that inability of first on first down. Again, it's just a massive, massive. You know, it's a snowflake at the top of the mountain. However, uh, you know, we're struggling in the run game, and then whoomph, here's where we are.
3: Yeah, there, there's there's been times where Green Bay has had a good enough pass offense where it's never ideal, but you can be one dimensional. Green Bay's one dimension right now isn't good enough to cover up mm-hmm. for those deficiencies, and the last thing you want to do. For any young quarterback, and yes, it's it's not a rookie, I get it, but for any young quarterback who's starting his fourth, fifth game in the NFL, you don't want to have to have them carry that entire load and just have to pass over and over and over again. And certainly you don't want to be in disadvantageous positions where you're down 17-0 to the Saints, where you're down 24-3 to by the time you get to like your 13th play on offense against the Lions. You're just asking far too much of a really young quarterback and a really young team to try to consistently come back from those sort of situations. And as you mentioned, it starts off like, all right, they're struggling to run the ball a little bit, but it becomes this huge thing where it, it, you're really, you know, plaguing the rest of your team because mm-hmm. you can't have any ball control. You're not being able to consistently get first downs. Like w- we've been talking about like, man, it'd be great to get Musgrave more involved. And you'd like to see Jaden Reed get a couple more catches. You'd love to see, you know, so-and-so well, who Aaron Jones see the ball more. All of those things are true pick up a freaking first down and everyone's mm-hmm. going to start seeing the ball more because you're going to have the ball more and you're going to run 15 to 20 more plays a game, which is going to get Musgrave three and Jones five. And you know, everyone's going to you know be fed a little bit more. So yeah, I do think that is a big piece of it. I think they've got to figure out by hook or crook some way to, to run the football. And y- you know what, if they have to use a little bit more deception, if it has to be Jaden Reed on jet sweeps, if it ha- like, I don't care, but you've got to figure out some way to run the football and get some yardage because you can't live in second and 10, third and 10 and expect this offense. I think they've actually in some ways this passing offense has outperformed my expectations <laughs> considering that they haven't been able to run the football at all.
2: I was just going to say given everything that we just talked about and the issues that they're experiencing, the fact that they've been as efficient as they have been in the red zone where you're already in a condensed part of the field where passing the ball because of there's just less space is more difficult they've actually been really good there. And I think in that part of the field, we've seen more of those um, design touches for certain players that we talked about. We've seen um, Jordan Love be, be able to extend plays in that part as well. And play action has been effective for him as well, even though the run game as a whole obviously hasn't been working as well. know, I think that goes to show that again, you need the runway to do so by getting first downs. But even if you're not ripping off six, seven yard chunks, if a defense thinks you might run in a certain situation, that play action can still have that, the effect that you want, even if you're not seeing the results on the ground that you want.
3: Yeah. Go back to that Christian Watson interception. I don't think the linebacker cared about the run all that much on that play. He took like a false step forward Mm -hmm. and then immediately started dropping back into his zone. Like, if 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 you had a running game that was gashing your opponent that run, that linebacker is committing far more to that running game than what he had to on that pick where he tipped the ball and, and obviously the safety intercepted it so i think it is starting to have a you know an effect on everything and i don't mm-hmm. think teams are giving as much credit to the play action as maybe they once were and i think it's only going to get worse if they can't t- you know if they continue to be one-dimensional and can't find any consistency in the running game whatsoever i want to talk about the other side of the ball really quick because I know you, uh, I I believe, wrote about this, but uh, I I feel like it's starting to get a little bit more uh, in the know now. I know I've talked about it. I think Aaron Nagler tweeted about it and, and maybe talked about it on a show this week, too. But the edge rusher position has been, I think, a little bit covered up by the great play of Rashawn Gary when he's been in the game. We still haven't seen that snap count ramp up. He's primarily just a pass rush specialist at this point. But to me, this is one of the more disappointing positions for green Bay so far, because you looked at it going in and you're like, all right, Gary, Gary's going to take some time to get back and and probably get back and, you know, maybe playing full time, the rotation, whatever it might've been. He's in my opinion, exceeded expectations so far for where I would have expected him to be through the first four weeks of the season. But, you know, Preston Smith's next play might be his first real big play of the season. Um, he's done some okay work in the running game, but it hasn't been consistent enough, at least for my liking. And Igbari was sort of the darling of training camp and preseason looked like he was going to be ready to take a step. He's been really, really tough, er, like rough, like it's not been good in the run defense. And he hasn't exactly made up for it enough as a pass rusher LVN is raw. I think we saw some flashes and then the arm injury happened. And I don't know if that affected him or what, but I, I don't, I thought this last game was probably his most nondescript game. And you can tell he's still sort of figuring out the NFL and waiting for the game, maybe to slow down for him a little bit. Justin Hollins hasn't really brought anything to the table and Breton Cox has played one play. So you looked at it on paper, like, man, six, six edge rushers. You probably only activate five on game day, but you've got good depth. You can rotate these guys in and out. But the truth has been The twenty or so snaps that Rashawn Gary plays usually pretty darn good. Outside of that, it's kind of been a big question mark.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and first, Gary's just on an absurd level right now. I know PFF's numbers; he's leading the the league in this. He's getting a pressure on once every three snaps, which is just again a ridiculous rate. He ranks seventy fifth in total snaps, pass rush snaps amongst edge rushers, but he's thirteenth in pressures. Again, just he's been so dominant on the flip side that win rate metric uh LVN is the next best packers edge rusher who ranks 79th. Everyone else is near the 100 mark in terms of pressures. I think Preston Smith is second with just 7 uh, and I think that ranks around the 70th again amongst edge rushers. So they have not been productive. They have to improve in that area. But I think and what I wrote in the article as well was part of it's just the the struggles that they're having in the run game. That's you know, great. one one benefit that Gary He's on the snap count, but when he's out there, he's in obvious passing situations like the the other players. Because the Packers are struggling against the run, the offense is in second short and third and short. You can't necessarily just pin your ears back. You got to be wary of playing both the run and both the pass, and that takes some of the bite away from a pass rush group. Three of the four quarterbacks that the Packers have faced this season, they all get they all do a really really good job of getting the ball out of their hands quickly, and that's magnified when you're in you know, second and short, and third and shorts, because you can live that way with quick completions, getting the balls to the guys in space. When it's second and long, third and longs, you got to, you know, wait for some longer developing routes to take place in order to try to get past the first down sticks, gives the defenders a little extra time to get there as well. So again, not, not absolving the edge rusher room of their overall play. They have to improve uh, along or in addition to Gary to join him, of course, but I think it is also a product of the issues that just the team as a whole has had on the ground game.
3: I think I was going to talk about this more if maybe we get to talking about the run defense later, but I think this team needs to fix their rotations on the defensive line and more specifically, maybe at edge rusher. And this is a difficult conversation to have because Everyone wants to be in on the obvious passing downs when that's like the money down and you can go get after the quarterback. And I'm sure Preston Smith and LVN want to be in on those plays as well. I think this, I don't think this team can play in Igbari on the non obvious passing downs and just consistently, you know, live with his level of run defense. I think to some extent that goes to the defensive line as well. I think on early downs, we need to see more of Clark and Slayton along the defensive line. And I think you need to see LVN and Preston Smith along the edges and almost weaponize them as run. Like we need you to defend the run. We need you to get out there on early downs, set a strong edge, be the guys that are holding up against the point of attack against the run. We know that that's going to amount to maybe some less playmaking opportunities for you, but that's what the job description calls for right now. And again, I know that sucks for a guy like Preston Smith, who I'm sure would love to be out there on some of I can live with, especially because of what Rashawn Gary's doing. If, if that means that Rashawn Gary and Igbari, you know, Devontae Wyatt and Carl Brooks need to play the obvious passing downs and you have to live with those four, just being more of your pass rush specialists and that maybe doesn't, you know, maybe it's not as great because Clark's not out there and maybe you'd like to rotate those guys a little bit more. So be it at this point. I just don't, I don't think Inigbari and Wooden and Brooks and even Wyatt to some extent and Hollins, I don't think that those guys can live as much on the obvious rundown. So um, I, I just, I think the rotations have been a little bit too loose and I think they need to sort of make those guys a little bit more focused in a specific area focus on what they do well, and then let the other guys cook on pass rushing downs. Because if, if they just keep rotating willy-nilly and don't have a plan for stuff, mm-hmm. that's how you end up with the goal line situation where it was first and goal from the eight. And yes, yeah, Slayton's in there. That's great. But I think it was either it was either Brooks or Wooden, and then Hollins and Edegbare are your front four with Quay and McDuffie as your linebackers. Keyshawn Nixon's still in the slot. And it's first and goal from the eighth. They run to the two, I think. And then the next play, it's another running down. They keep everyone in the game and I think kind of go fast. And you just don't have the guys that can hold up at the point of attack in that situation. So I think they have to be a little bit more focused on who they have in the game when and start weaponizing some of their players for specific roles.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know, uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it. Enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. So many of you probably know that Damian Lillard was just traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as I found out, I had to get opening day tickets immediately, and I will be there at that game because I use game time and even got to use code pack a day for $20 off, which made it even more sweet. The process was so insanely simple. They have these flash deals and you can click on the different areas of the stadium to see which prices are available. You can see the actual view of the seats. It was hassle free and just super, super simple. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals as well. You can forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without all the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now...
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, going back to, to the offseason and looking at just the run defense unit, specifically the interior, I mean, that was the big question. It's like, who's going to defend the run? You have Carl Brooks and Kobe Wooden, who were known pass rushers coming out of college. And also, there's just a transition going from college to the NFL, specifically yep. with run defense. It's one thing to say, hey, pin your ears back and just go from point A to point B and get the quarterback. It's a whole nother thing with run defense. And I know Devontae Wyatt came on strong at the end of last season, but that was as a pass rusher. If you go back and listen to Kenny Clark, uh, Jerry Montgomery this offseason, they both were pretty clear that run defense is an area that he has to continue to get better at. So 100% agree uh, in terms of trying to limit the, the roles of those three in those situations just to maximize what you do have with Clark and Slayton.
3: I would, I brought this up to justice for skate as well. I don't think he liked it as much as I liked it. So you can feel free to crap on my idea as well. Uh, I, I kind of want to see potentially Carl Brooks used as a big edge rusher, like he was used in college on run defense too. I just, you know what? Give give it a shot at this point, point. and I, I like. I think it's at some point you just need to start throwing some crap against the wall and see if something can fix it. Whether that's bringing up Jonathan Ford to play 15 snaps of run defense, whether that's playing Carl Brooks as a big, you know, 280 whatever he is pound edge rusher like he did at college, mm-hmm. um, and just to set the edge and be a bigger player there. Like I don't care what it is at this point. I just think you have to start trying some different things because. Um, you know, as they've kind of alluded to the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and keep giving up 211 yards exactly to the opposing team, uh, and there were two seven, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got to try some things at this point and I'm all ears for any ideas at this point.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm all for that. Again, i I'm on the same thought process as you with, we're kind of at the point of like, well, why not? Let's try something different yeah. just to see if something works.
3: All right, let's let's bring it uh, to our weekly uh, offensive line musical chairs conversation. Uh we've got potentially Elton Jenkins back, potentially uh John Runyon Jr. out. I don't want to make uh too, you know, hard of declarations on either of them when it was only one practice and a lot of things can happen through the course of the week. It was great to see Runyon practicing earlier or sorry, uh Jenkins practicing earlier this week you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that Runyon's going to be out just because he was at the rehab group. There's a lot of time left before Monday's game, but let's just play it out and say Jenkins can go and Runyon cannot. Let's just say that's the offensive line this week. I think it's probably fairly clear. I think that Rashid Walker is still going to be the left tackle, although there may be some, uh, you know, debate there, but I'll still say Rashid at left. I think uh, clearly Elton's your, your left guard. I don't think you're messing anything with Myers. He's like your only healthy guy right now. So I think Myers stays at center. Um, and then things start getting interesting because Newman has been not great. Um, it's now right guard instead of left guard. So maybe do you try a Sean Ryan there instead of a Royce Newman, or do you stick with Royce Newman? And now, since it is the right side, since maybe you don't have to switch Zach Tom from right side to left side, do you maybe now consider Zach Tom at right guard with Yash Nyman at right tackle? So Paul, the floor is yours. How are you uh, musical chairs in this offensive line this week?
2: For me, I think we got to keep uh, Zach Tom at right tackle. I think he's just been too good there, especially in in pass protection and in terms of, you know, again, the, we know the Packers want to win as many games as they can this season. But from a evaluation standpoint on where we're going in twenty twenty four and beyond, like he is the right tackle moving forward. And I, so I think, especially as a young player, just giving him that stability. I think can really really go a long way even though we know he has the ability to move inside if needed. For me, and I wrote about this kind of what we were talking about wrapping up the defensive side of the ball with Sean Ryan, I'm at the point of like why not when again, you're looking at what the alternative is is Royce Newman. And for me, that's not just at right guard like if Jenkins can't go on Monday night, like I would be all for them seeing what uh, Ryan can do at left guard as well. I mean, I know from your grades And we all see it with our eyes as well that Newman has very much struggled. He's given, you know, from pro football focus, he's given up nine pressures. And, of course, which is the most on the team, and he's played the least amount of snaps out of anyone on the offensive line. Again, by their grading system, not the be-all, end-all, but typically if someone's playing well, it reflects that. If they're playing poorly, it reflects that. He ranks 67th out of 76 guards. And Sean Ryan, he's a third-round pick. He's a top 100 pick only in his second season. He has no NFL snaps. Rookie season obviously went horribly even before the suspension. Like he was a healthy scratch on most Sundays. Like it, it was not a great start for him. But again, going back to that, you know, we're in that evaluation year. What is he? What What is his role? Is there a role moving forward? Because this is already a position, the interior offensive line, where it's not like there's a ton of depth on this roster. We think of the offensive line depth, but that's the tackle spot. You know, looking ahead to next offseason, season. Uh, you know, Royce Newman <laughs> might not even be on the team this time, a year from now. Uh, John Runyon's a free agent. Like, is is Sean Ryan a potential someone who in next uh, July and August could compete for playing time? Is he a solid backup off the bench that we have to rely on, or is he someone who might not be on this team either? Like, you got to figure that out at some point, and if based on – obviously, they know way more than we do from just seeing him in practice every day, but if they already know, like, oh, he's he's not – going to be that guy then why is he on the team like if he cannot get snaps right now over Royce Newman because you the Packers just know or know that he's not ready like is he ever going to be that was kind of my big thing like if it's not now when's this opportunity going to present itself that he can get on the field and that's why I said if that's how they truly feel like they should probably be looking for someone else right now to, you know, be that depth along the interior offensive line. So that's where I'm at with this whole situation. Again, he's a second year player, top 100 pick, no NFL snaps. And I get why up to this point, but again, if the alternative right now is Royce Newman, who is very, very much struggling. And again, I don't know if Ryan might be worse. I have zero clue. Again, we got to see him, but Again, yeah, I, I just want to see them try something and it just figure out, all right, Where does he fit, if at all, into any sort of future plans that might
3: consist with this offensive line? If he goes out and he absolutely blows, and he's worse than Royce Newman, you still learn something. You mm-hmm. still there's a value in learning that because we we everyone might think from time to time that like, oh, this guy in practice, he's just not getting it. It's not clicking. Whatever the case may be, but like sometimes. Players are just gamers and you go out like Anders Carlson, yeah. Anders a phenomenal example. I think you wrote about this as well, but like the guy couldn't make a kick in practice, mm-hmm. like through training camp, everything lights come on. It makes every kick you like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain that. Some people just get in the game and it clicks and some people are poor practice, you know, players and have poor practice habits and they get in the game and all the, like, the adrenaline gets going and the, and like you just get more focused. I don't know why it is. It just is with some players. So maybe, maybe he's not great at practice, but maybe he goes out at left guard in actual game situations and just balls the heck out, or at minimum plays even slightly better than what we've seen from Royce Newman so far. But if he doesn't, if he's brutal, if he's terrible, if he's sucked, whatever, you still learn something. You still got an evaluation. And for, a team that is in an evaluation season and they want to get a look at all these players and they want to see if Sean Ryan can be a player that might be able to play for them in, you know, some in the future, compete for starting spots, get that evaluation. And even if the evaluation is bad, you at least have it. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you. We've seen Royce Newman. We know exactly what you're going to get. There's, there's 0%, 0. 0 0.0% chance that all of a sudden it just clicks for Royce Newman next week. And that's just like, man, that guy's a really good guard for the rest of his career. I would love to be wrong. I will happily be wrong if that ends up being the case, but I think we know what Royce is at this point. We have no idea what Sean Ryan is. And like you said, there's nothing to lose. Give it a shot, see what happens. And if he can't, if he's worse than Royce Newman, If he does end up being worse than Royce Newman, it's just all right. See, that's done. It's over. Like you, you -hmm. don't need to make any more evaluation after that point. Find the next guy and start going in a different direction.
2: Yeah, hundred percent agree. And for what it's worth to everyone out there, I thought that Newman, or or, excuse me, Ryan, was the more consistent player of the two uh, during training camp this summer.
3: I think what you would get with Ryan, I think you'd get a much better run blocker with Sean Ryan Mm -hmm. than you would have Royce Newman. In fact, he might be like one of the better run blockers right now on the team. Cause I, I, thought he run, he you know, did run blocking pretty well in preseason. Um, and we know that's an issue right now. I think you're going to get a better run blocker than Newman. I think in, in past protection, um, it may be semi-similar, but in different ways where like Newman just gets overwhelmed. I don't think Ryan's going to get as overwhelmed, but I think there's going to be a lapse here or there with like a, mm-hmm. a stunt or a, whatever the case may be. And it's just going to look really ugly and you might have some immediate pressure, which might be what they're worried about is like, Man, we might put this guy out there, and you might allow a three-second hit, and you know Jordan Love just gets annihilated or whatever. So I, that that's kind of what I think would happen if they played him a little bit more. So let me see it. I want I want to see if he can actually mm-hmm. go out there and perform. And sometimes, guess what? Shocker! Players get better when they play in the games, right, right. and like you might just need reps at this point. And I don't know. I'm, I'm ready for it, good, bad, or ugly. Show me what it is, and we'll evaluate from there. Um, one other player I wanted to talk about was Eric Stokes. He returns to practice this week. And I think the interesting discussion we'll we'll see when he comes back. I I, personally, I don't expect him for this game. I don't know that I like have any evidence to say that one way or the other, but I I would be somewhat surprised if all of a sudden they opened his practice window and then just played him this week, especially with the bye coming up. Um, I would think that, you know, the next game or even further down the line is more likely, but we shall see. But regardless when he does get back, what's your vision for what Eric Stokes, role should be, because it's a really fascinating question.
2: Oh, it certainly is. That's the million dollar one right now. I mean, obviously we'll just start with who's out there right now. It's Jair, Razul on the boundary and they are boundary cornerbacks. We know they experimented with Razul inside last season, just didn't see that same effectiveness playmaking ability. Eric Stokes, he's a boundary cornerback as well. And obviously Keyshawn Nixon in the slot. So how do you go about mixing and matching? Like in terms of where it makes the most sense, it would be getting Razul Douglas or over to the safety position, your biggest question mark on the defensive side of the ball. And Brian Gutekinds, I go back to it, but during the combine, I think it was, he talked about that and how uh, Douglas's skill set, uh, uh, reading the quarterback's eyes, ability to down downfield, like it fits well with, you know, some of the responsibilities that come at the safety position. Uh, over the summer, and I know Matt, Matt Fleur was asked about it, the, the same you know best five out there that he used for the offensive line you threw that out there when talking about the the defensive backs but so to me that's where it, it makes the most sense and you're getting your best players on the field but also in saying that I I don't know how much I actually think that that's a a path yeah. that they're going to go down either so I mean in terms of when he's first coming back I think it you know they'll, they'll be able to lean on just working him in kind of slowly in terms of getting back onto the onto the field, but the part that I struggle with is who are you going to take off? You're obviously not taking Jair off the field to get him on the boundary. I I doubt that they'd want to take Razul and his playmaking off the field, maybe for a specific matchup, but to me, it's going to come down to, you know, working, or they're going to have to work into the slot. And Last season, before we knew Douglas was going to be in the slot, I thought the slot duty was going to be a rotation. I thought it was going to be matchup specific. If the opponent's best receiver's inside, Jair's inside. If it's a, a bigger-bodied receiver or a team with a pass-catching tight end, you're going to see Razul inside. If it's a team with a speedy slot receiver, you're going to see Eric Stokes and his speed inside. Going into last season, that's what I thought the approach was going to be. But obviously they went with more of the static and just trying to put each player into a specific role. So I, to be that makes the most sense in terms of just trying to match it up based on who you're going against each week or even, you know, series to series, depending on what they're doing. But uh, that's the million dollar question.
3: I got a couple of thoughts on this. Now let's start off with, I think, first of all, I think he has to like sort of earn his spot back. I think Rizul mm-hmm. and Jair are your clear starting corners, you know, I think he'll probably just take the step ahead of Carrington Valentine at this point. Although I, I think that's probably just the case. And then as you mentioned, you've got those four outside corners and then Nixon sort of your only slot one. I think what I would sort of like to see moving forward, if it were my decision, which a lot of people can be thankful, it's not. Um, but I would put Jair and Razul on the outside with Nixon and the slot on your sort of base nickel downs where it's like they could run, they could pass. We don't know what they're going to do. Uh, we're going to have that as our primary three. If it's a if you're going to stay in nickel, but it's a pretty obvious passing down, I would then like to see Jair in the slot with Razul and Stokes on the outside, and let yeah, like you know what if they run it once and they run at Jair, so be it. We'll figure it out. But uh, I think if it's a it's a very clear and obvious third and long, and you're still in nickel, put Jair in the slot, put those two guys on the outside, and I think you can live with that in that situation. I think then in dime we have seen already in dime that Rizul is playing slot in dime. And so I don't think there's a huge issue there. And then I think again, in in dime is a clear, obvious passing situation, Mm -hmm. Jair and Rizul in the slot Stokes and, um, wait Stokes and then probably what Valentine on the, yeah. So I guess you could put Nixon in the slot still. So that could be Nixon and uh, they could go in a variety of different directions, but if they wanted to get their four best cover guys out there, then I think you do Jair and Razul on the slot with Valentine and uh, Stokes on the outside, or if you wanted to keep Jair outside and keep Nixon in the slot, then that's fine too. But um, I think they have some options there, but that's how I would do it. First of all, the other thing I will float here is that, if, if this team does by chance, and we don't want it to go in this direction, but let's say they go, you know, one in three in their next four games or something. I do think Razul has trade value and he's sort of in that no man's land where you actually have some cap savings next year and with, with Razul, and he's of that, uh, like a little bit older than sort of the core of this team. And you do have Jair and you do have Valentine and you do have Stokes and you kind of want to get those guys in the field. And while I think that, Douglas could very much help a contending team as a starting quarterback right now. I also think that they're like, this is probably the ceiling for Rasul. Like this is kind of like the right now is probably the best version of Rasul. I guess maybe the two years ago was, but like this right now is probably like the best version of Rasul that's left. I don't think there's another layer to this. Whereas you're hoping that maybe Stokes or Valentine or those guys could reach a higher level with more playing time, more experience and those sort of things. So it wouldn't shock me If like, especially with some of the cornerback injuries that have been happening around the league, the chargers just traded away Jackson, maybe they could use a guy. If some team that's legitimately contending for a Super Bowl or playoffs came calling and said, we'll give you, you know, X pick. And it, a takes sort of some of that log jam away while also giving you the ability to play Stokes and Jair and Valentine and Nixon and those guys. I don't think it's likely, but I also wouldn't necessarily say it's impossible either.
2: Yeah. I mean, i That's a interesting thought. I did not even look that far ahead to consider that, but I mean, everything you laid out makes sense. I just, I hope once Stokes is back that having that, that, uh, depth that they have at the cornerback position, that is so, so rare what they have right now. And I just hope that it's, it's, it's maximized, especially with the, the ability that they do have. And you laid it out by the different, uh, Uh, defensive packages that they're in to just kind of maximize that ability and put them in the best positions to be successful, specifically on who the, the opponent is that they're going up
3: against. I think it just goes back to my overall point of like, I think we just need to see a little bit more specialization on defense. Mm-hmm. This team is not stacked with uh, 11 defenders who can do everything, who are just good at run defense, good at pass defense, good in like, they have like sort of specializations for almost every single one of these players. And I think they need to utilize that a little bit more because I think in some of these players, as like platoon players, can be really freaking good if set up in the right situations and scenarios. Like just far too often, like a lot of these players are just put in positions that isn't their 1A specialty and you, it, it comes to, like you see it. it, like it happens far too often where they're just not necessarily put up in a situation where they can succeed. Speaking of specialization, before we get out of here, I do want to ask you about the special teams because Rich Passaccia said the special teams remains a work in progress. I said the other day, I don't think that's good enough. And I know that this has been a like, Three decade long special teams issue. So, like, coming and fixing it in like a season and a quarter is probably not the easiest thing in the world. And I do have some respect for that. I get it's not an easy job. I also get that Andres Carlson is rookie kicker, kicking pretty darn well right now. I get that his punter is his first time NFL punter, Daniel Whalen. He's done a pretty nice job so far. So, this isn't the complete dumpster fire, unmitigated nightmare that maybe we have seen in some seasons past. You have an opposing team's punt return for a touchdown already in the first four weeks of the season. You had a boneheaded Quay Walker penalty that basically, you know, sealed your fate. It was probably already sealed, but completely sealed your fate in that game. Um, You've had some really bad penalties. You've had Keyshawn taking it about nine and nine tenths, you know, yards deep from the end zone and getting it back far too many times, not out to the 25 yard line. There's just been far too many mistakes for the special teams. And to me, second year, Rich Passaccia, probably highest Special teams coordinator in the league. A lot of players on this roster that are special team specialists. To me, that's just not good enough right now.
2: Yeah, it hasn't been. I mean, they have the special teams unit alone has 10 penalties through these four games. You already mentioned the punt return they gave up. Uh Jane Reed, I know he's had at least one muff punt. Uh yep. the, the delay a game on the field goal attempt at the beginning of the Atlanta game. And then the the Keyshawn Nixon on the kick returns. Like I know we all love his aggressiveness, but he's either got to let the ball go or the blocking has to greatly improve. Because for all the reasons that we spent on at the beginning of this, this offense cannot be starting at its 15-yard line. Uh, And and in the Detroit game, it felt like it was even closer to the 10-yard line was their average starting field position between Nixon not getting to the 20 and then a, a penalty coming in after. So all of those things have to improve. And in addition to Bisacci saying as a work in progress, he talked about how there's just been a, a lot of movement within the different units of the special teams uh, from a personnel standpoint. But the head scratch in part with me is that while this is a young Packers team overall, eight of their top 10 guys from last season in terms of special team snaps are, are still on the team. Like that that unit did not see a ton of turnover like the offensive side of the ball did. And I, in the, the uh, Sports Illustrated's annual rankings, they finished last season 22nd, still in the bottom half of the league, but also a far cry from 32nd. And it felt like – because last year they started off slowly as well, but you got it at that point. It's a new coordinator coming in, a lot of yeah. lot of young players then as well. But it felt like, especially during that last half of the season, they were playing like a much better unit than 22nd overall. So you take that now in his second season as the special teams coordinator, Uh, again, not a ton of turnover in that regard at those kind of core positions outside of kicker and punter. And yeah, I thought they'd be a lot further ahead of where they are now because you you can see why, especially this offseason, obviously it's. Uh, Bisaccia's fingerprint on the unit, but when you got a young offense, you can see why you'd also want to invest in the special teams unit. Points are going to be at a premium, you want to take advantage of field goals and extra points. Winning the field position battle goes a really, really long way, and they just have not done that consistently. Uh, one other point on that you mentioned, uh, Daniel Carlson being being a gamer basically, it's what Anders he's been up to me. this point, or Anders Carlson. Sorry, you got the radio a million times. <laughs> Uh, being a gamer, and I go back to after he was drafted, there were two things that Rich Passaccia kept going back to and talking about him, his his uh, big game experience from his time at Auburn and his mental makeup. And I think mental makeup in particular we saw throughout the summer because, yeah, he would go one for six in practice, but he'd turn around and go six for six the next day. Like his ability to bounce back, his ability to have his best performances when it matters most, when the lights are bright. like. He's done that up to this point. It, it, it's been really impressive, you know, considering the the body of work that we saw throughout the summer and just the complete unknown that we all
3: had in terms of, all right, w- what's going to happen here uh, throughout the season. And I want to go back to Keyshawn Nixon for just a moment because, well, let's because we, again, we know the playmaking ability that he has, but let's say he has 11 kick returns that go to the 18 yard line. Uh, you've lost 77 yards that could have been you know, up to the 25 if you just let mm-hmm. it be a touchback. You lost 77 yards. Even if you house the 12th one and he goes for a touchdown, that's a big play. That's an explosive. You're, you're probably even still willing to take that. You still lost two, two net yards in the entire situation. By mm-hmm. like, if, if 11 of them go to the 18 and the 12th goes to the end zone, it's still two yards under expected if you just let it go to the 25-yard line every time. So – um, we all want that explosive play and we know that he's capable of doing it. And there's still a level of excitement when he gets the ball in his hands, but mm-hmm. there does need to be, you know, some level of like, all right, if it's this deep and you have to make a jump catch to make it, like, maybe just let that one go. So uh, I mean, it's, it's tough. You don't want to take the playmaker out of them. I get it. But at the same token, like you said, this is not a team that's set up to start at the 18 and go, you know, 82 yards, every single drive. It's just not going to happen with this team. So there does have to probably be a little bit more of reeling him back in. Um, even if again, it might take away some of the explosiveness that can happen from time to time.
2: Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, we talked about the, the impact of uh, of a lack of complementary football and the special teams that included that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. when they're starting at the 10 yard line, they have the three and out now the opponents receiving the punt around midfieldish or whatever it might be, you know, again, all of it has a trickle of down effect negatively in, in, in this example, but all of it impacts the the rest of the game.
3: If it were up to me, I think I would probably just have the offense defense and special teams play better. Um, and then I think everything just fixes itself. So that's just me though. Uh, Paul, amaz-
2: What's that? I was going to say they should try that one.
3: Yeah, they should really try it. I don't know why they haven't. It. It's, it's ridiculous. Fire Joe Barry. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, Paul, great stuff as always. Where can we find, uh, all of your incredible work and, uh, plug some of those great articles that you've been putting out?
2: Hey, I appreciate it. And you can find all my work, uh, over at Packers Wire, including a, a number of the articles and topics that we discussed today. Also,
3: uh, hit subscribe over on YouTube channel name is Paul Brettel. Yeah. Make sure to check that out. He does awesome work on the YouTube channel, Packers wire. He's all over the place. And again, you obviously get it here once a week, but you're going to want to be checking out all the great stuff that Paul's putting out far more often than that. So make sure to do so. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Of course, follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for Paul and I today, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.